But I actually think that there's a huge application for it in kind of the mainstream farming locations that are in the tropics and subtropics don't require a building, but would greatly benefit from the water treatment and biosecurity benefits that come from RAS. Welcome to RAS Talk, the podcast on recirculating aquaculture systems and sustainable food production. Brought to you by RASTAC Magazine, the premier publication for recirculating aquaculture systems professionals. This episode is sponsored by OxyGuard International. Secure, grow, evolve. Improve your production with tailored and targeted technology. Hello there, listeners. My name is Jean Coden, and I am the editor of Hatchery International and RASTAC Magazine. And this will be my first podcast where I will not be joined by my former co-host, Brian Vinci. I am flying solo on this podcast as Brian refocuses his time on his work at the Freshwater Institute. My former co-host is a humble person. So in our last episode together with Sustainable Blue, he didn't even want to make a big deal out of it. But since he's not here to stop me and I know he'll be listening, I just want to say thank you, Mr. Brian Vinci, for guiding this podcast for the past three years and helping us to grow to what it is today. I've learned a lot from you and I hope I do proud. Now, on this episode, dear listeners, I sat down with a veteran and an ambassador in the aquaculture industry. George Chamberlain serves as the president of the Center of Responsible Seafood. His organization just wrapped up their inaugural Global Shrimp Summit, which took place in Ho Chi Minh City in Vietnam. We talked about his thoughts on the shrimp industry in general, but also his thoughts on RAS technology and its role in the shrimp farming industry. Um, we all we burned through a lot of topics actually on this episode, so get ready. I hope you enjoy the RAS Talk podcast with George Chamberlain. Welcome, George. Thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with me. Brian, you are missed because I know that Brian Vinci is a good friend of yours, but I appreciate you coming on and talking to me about all the things Shrimp Summit and the Center for Responsible Seafood. So welcome. Oh, thank you so much, Jane. It's a pleasure to be here. I do miss Brian too, but I'll catch up with him later. Anyway, I'm looking forward to the conversation. Yes, absolutely. Uh, let's start with the idea for the Global Shrimp Summit. Um, you held the inaugural event this year, just a few weeks ago, actually, now. Um, how did the idea come about and what was the initial goal for creating this event? Actually, in the Global Seafood Alliance, we've had uh, annual meetings since 2001. And every year we we kind of look for where is the critical issue in the, in, in the aquaculture world. Now it's broadened to seafood in general, including wild catch. And we, we um, organize a meeting to address that critical issue. In this case, it, at the last goal meeting in Seattle in October, um, the gentleman from Rabobank, his name is Gorian Nikolic, presented a talk on global shrimp production. He, he projected that there would be even greater oversupply. There already was oversupply, high inventories, and low prices at the time of his presentation. And he indicated that that would worsen this year and that the pinch was being felt especially hard in Asia, where two-thirds or maybe even uh, 
uh, close to three quarters of the world's shrimp production occurs. And then kind of remarkably, Ecuador was still booming, even though Asia was um, operating very near their break-even point or, or even below. And at the same time, we heard presentations at that goal conference from the retail community about the accelerating pace of climate change, the worrying alarm bells about, you know, global temperature increase, melting ice caps, the forest fires and droughts and so on, and the need to raise the bar on uh, sustainability criteria. So those two issues combined really don't, don't fit well. How, you know, how do you deal with essentially transforming an industry to make it more sustainable at a point when uh, the industry is operating very close to its break-even point. It seemed like a crisis in the making. And then the uh, the chemistry of Ecuador versus Asia was also very interesting. It seemed like there could be some great learning opportunities by exchanging information. So we posed the idea to uh, the Global Seafood Alliance to undertake the meeting, but they already had one planned. They already have their meeting planned in St. John, New Brunswick in really just a couple of weeks and, um, and the next one planned in Scotland. And so there really was no opportunity through GSA to take the event to Asia where the problem was really focused. So the Center for Responsible Seafood decided that we would uh, charge ahead and with support from GSA, you know, they, they would, um, uh, send some people along and help us where they could help promote the meeting that we would uh, do it and we would try to use it as an educational process. And so maybe this is a good point to divert just a little bit and mention that the Center for Responsible Seafood uh, was formed in 2009 with the mission of sharing knowledge and doing uh, basic uh, technical research, doing work to try to help improve the sustainability of the aquaculture industry. Unlike GSA, you know, it's a totally different organization from GSA with a different board of directors. Uh, TCRS has nothing to do with certification. It's only focused on education, training, knowledge sharing, uh, um, practical research. So, that's kind of, you know, the uh, TCRS um, mission is how can we help the industry? How can we help it transform and um, avoid issues and uh, become more sustainable? So this situation with uh, shrimp farming uh, in Asia, especially, uh, led us to organize the Shrimp Summit. And we decided to do it in Ho Chi Minh City because it's right near the center of the shrimp farming business in Asia. And, and very important, we, we knew from experience with GSA meetings that in order to have any kind of meaningful outcome, it's important to invite the whole value chain. You know, you have to invite the major buyers and the importers and the processors and feed companies and of course, the producers and uh, 
the government representatives and the NGOs, because if you just invite one sector, for example, if we just invited producers, because they're the ones most heavily affected, it ends up being kind of an echo chamber where producers complain to each other about low prices. And uh, that's that's there's there's no opportunity for generating change. So it's really important to get everybody in the same room, understand everyone's perspectives, and then try to look for what might be the most productive uh, ways to overcome some of the problems. For those who weren't able to attend virtually or in person, can you give us a little bit about what stood out to you in terms of the talks or the sessions that took place? What were the highlights for you? We tried to cover the full range of topics. Uh, we began uh, with, you know, the typical welcome remarks where our co-hosts, uh, Vietnamese government officials, uh, minister, um, top-level people, department of fisheries heads, the the um, fisheries organization of Vietnam, uh, all welcomed us, and maybe one of the top um, producers, from, uh, Mr. Lee Van Quang from uh, from Vietnam, and and then we moved into two talks which were heartwarming uh, and important, but didn't necessarily deal directly with the topics. But I'll mention them anyway. That we we recognized with lifetime achievement awards two key people. One of them was was Dr. Motosaku Fujinaga, and he was uh, actually uh, the what's recognized as the father of shrimp farming back in the 1930s to 1960s. He developed all the seminal technology for uh, shrimp reproduction, the larval rearing, the nutrition, the grow out techniques, you know, uh, all for a, a species that grows in Japan, uh, Panaeus japonicus, the Karuma shrimp, that was destined never to take off commercially on any scale because it's kind of a, a cold water shrimp. It grows fairly slowly, has very high protein requirements, the uh, very unique um, environmental requirements. And um, and so all of this technology was developed and it was destined to languish in Japan. But there was a gentleman named uh, Dr. Liao, uh, a young postdoc in his early 20s who was one of many who flocked to Dr. Fujinaga's lab and learned his techniques. And he took them back to Taiwan and tested them on a variety of species and discovered that black tiger shrimp grow tremendously well in captivity. They adapt to a hatchery environment, to artificial you know, pelleted feeds. And... Um, and the business took off. And so at this meeting, Dr. Liao, that 20-year-old postdoc, uh, is now 87. And he delivered the um, presentation about Dr. Fujinaga. And we presented the award to his son post posthumously. So it was really wonderful and actually kind of amazing to think that you can recognize the, the father of a, of a whole sector and actually know living people who have met the person, know his personality, how he operated, how he, uh, how unselfishly he gave to the sector and really just, in his case, just wanted shrimp to become less of a 
very high value product only for the wealthy and for it to become affordable for everyone. And uh, then we had a second uh, Lifetime Achievement Award to a gentleman named Robbins McIntosh, who's uh, one of the real technology leaders in the business and an important name in the RAS community because his homegrown shrimp USA project in Florida is one of the major indoor shrimp farms in the world and uh, just was commissioned earlier this year, I think, um, in the spring of this year. And uh, it's just a remarkable um, uh, indication of uh, Robin's persistence in making projects work. But he's also been a real leader in shrimp breeding and disease diagnostics in feeds and uh, uh, many areas. He's uh, he's well known throughout the industry and he gave us um, a look at the future of shrimp farming. So we, we kind of had the Dr. Fujinaga recognition looking back to our roots and then Robin's looking ahead to the future. And then we, we jumped into a series of nine technical sessions. The first one was on global production and markets. And it set the stage by saying that Gorian Nikolic's uh, projections from the goal meeting in the previous October were absolutely still holding, and there's still uh, overproduction, high inventories, uh, record low prices, and that the uh, low prices that uh, are being felt at the production end still have not translated into low prices at the consumer level, which is a very frustrating thing for producers when they see they're producing at these uh, prices that are about to drive them out of business. Yet when they look at the prices in the grocery store, they're as high as they were when uh, when the farmer was getting peak prices. So um, it takes time and for those things to relay through and they will, and it'll eventually lead to uh, increased uh, consumption. But um, anyway, that set the stage that we uh, haven't had the typical scenario of a catastrophic disease outbreak somewhere in the world, which has been the history of shrimp farming that uh, reduces the global supply. Shrimp farming practices are getting better and better. Biosecurity is improved. The shrimp themselves are now bred for much greater resistance to disease. And so we have um, record high production. And it seems as if um, every shrimp producing country is aiming to increase their production. I appreciate this sort of overview of shrimp, of the shrimp industry. And I loved how the shrimp summit for example started out with the farmer of with the father of shrimp farming because you kind of want to know where you started and then talk about where we're going next right so um in in sort of that spirit what role does you know recirculating aquaculture technology play for this industry well, you know, as the uh, as the sector increases and you know production increases, we see the sort of typical scenario where a a flow through farm will establish somewhere in the world in relatively pristine environment, and they get outstanding results, and then 
their neighbors see how well that farmer is doing and how much uh, profit he's generating. And then a whole bunch of other farms join in and they're also flow through systems. And pretty soon they um, contaminate the receiving body, which is also the, the water that they draw as their intake with, um, uh, with excessive nutrients and with pathogens. And then the business suffers. And so it's a, it's an ever recurring scenario. And the solution is that uh, farmers have to protect themselves by reducing their reliance on the incoming water and, uh, and reusing. And, um, you know, in its, you know, farthest endpoint, we see RAS systems manifesting as virtually zero water exchange indoor systems in temperate environments next to the marketplace. But I actually think that there's a huge application for it in kind of the mainstream farming locations that are in the tropics and subtropics, don't require a building, but would greatly benefit from the water treatment and biosecurity benefits that come from RAS. Um, George, this might be a little bit of a naive question for me, but um, sort of in listening to you uh, talk about the shrimp industry and how it's sort of facing an overproduction challenge right now, what is the advantage of moving a farming operation into RAS technology, which can be sort of a capital intensive operation or facility? Yes, well, it's it's just as I say, it, it is capital intensive, but the alternative can be highly volatile production. The issue is mainly pathogens. And it's um, this uh, conversation actually gets into one of the main uh, thrusts of this conference, which was um, why is Ecuador doing so well since Oh, really, in the last several months, um, Ecuador has also reached a point where they're very near their break-even level, and they had their first month with um, where they didn't experience any growth just recently. So Ecuador, is it's not as if the industry is booming there anymore, but they have clearly had a much delayed hit on their industry as compared to Asia. And the, the question that was ringing throughout the conferences. Why is that? What's uh, what's the difference? Well, why is Ecuador doing better in some respects? And it all has to do with that issue of disease and um, tolerance of diseases. And in Ecuador's case, they've been breeding shrimp um, by selecting the survivors directly from their production ponds, uh, really since... Um, about, well, since white spot virus uh, catastrophically hit Ecuador around 1999, they tried many things to try to operate as the Asian farms by um, uh, chlorinating their incoming water, trying to uh, disinfect every vehicle, every person that came in. But they, they couldn't manage to control things like birds and uh, crabs and and their ponds are big, maybe 10 or 20 hectares on average. And biosecurity um, 
was difficult for them to implement without raising the cost so high that their semi-intensive production simply wouldn't cover it. So their alternative was to simply begin selecting the survivors from each crop. They may only have 20% survival, breed them again, stock the offspring, and hope the next generation does a little better. And honestly, it took uh, six or seven years before they really saw the benefits. But now they have um, a stock of shrimp in Ecuador that's resistant to most of the um, pathogens. You know, it's, uh, uh, I, I suppose the proper term is tolerant. It's not 100% immune, but it's highly tolerant to most of the viruses and bacterial diseases that are present. Whereas in Asia, they have not used that approach. They stock shrimp, which are specific pathogen-free, SPF, and those shrimp are free of all diseases, but they may be influenced by diseases that are in the environment. And, and so it's these um, SPF-focused uh, farms that are in Asia that would really benefit from better control of pathogens. So um, by using more water reuse, uh, using the water within their own farm uh, to a greater extent, then they don't have to worry so much about uh, disinfecting every drop of incoming water. So it's, it, it's a long answer to basically say, it's in their own interest to reduce water use so that the expense of assuring the biosecurity of the water they do bring in is reduced. But uh, disease management is, uh, is a crucial element and RAS is, uh, is a great tool for reducing the reliance on, you know, on water that uh, could be uh, potentially infected with multiple pathogens and could could cause catastrophic losses or, or even uh, maybe even worse than catastrophic losses are some of the diseases that cause um, very slow growth and, and poor conversion efficiency so that um, the farmer may not even realize he's got a serious disease, but when he harvests, he finds that he has only um, very small shrimp and he's wasted a lot of feed and, the, and he, he gets a crop out, but it's a, it's a major loss of money. If at least with a catastrophic loss, he might've known right away that there was a problem and he could have restocked. It's important also from the environmental point of view, reducing the nutrient load on the environment. As, uh, you know, as aquaculture grows, we have to think of um, the tons of you know, solids and inorganic uh, nutrients that are being discharged into the environment and how that affects the quality of the receiving body. It's not just the selfish uh, uh, consideration of how the diseases in that water might affect my production. So it's, it's really both, both aspects, environmental mm -hmm. and production. Uh, so far in our podcast, I believe we've explored a few RAS projects um, in the U.S. 
just recently, a few episodes ago, we talked to Steve Sutton from Transparency, who is based in Downey, California. We've also talked to um, the person that you mentioned, Rambitz McIntosh with Homegrown Shrimp in Florida. Do you feel that there's a specific potential of shrimp brass in the United States? Are there other regions in the country that could benefit with more RAS projects there? Sure. I, I think that that RAS projects will continue to grow. And I, you know, I, I want to go back to the whole technology is um is transforming and it's not just limited to the US. Um I I found it remarkable to visit this high-tech farm in in uh, Vietnam that aspires to produce, can you imagine, 100,000 tons of shrimp from, from wow. the facilities. And it, they don't just have the, um, you know, intensive tank systems, but also AI-driven apps that uh, count and measure the shrimp and um, and help them with water quality and management of all the 5,000 devices on their farm and a central control system where they can see what's happening throughout the farm. So those those RAS technologies that we normally associate with you know small-scale indoor systems are are actually being transferred worldwide. They're having application in a much broader sense and. Yes, I think there will be projects located right in the, you know, the population centers where the market's located so so that folks can have access, consumers can have access to, you know, very fresh, locally grown uh, products. But I, I want to make a point that in the case of shrimp, they freeze very well. You know, in the case of many fish, you can taste uh, a fresh, never frozen filet and tell a remarkable difference between it and a previously frozen filet. But I would challenge anyone to tell the difference with shrimp. Their muscle is different. And so there's not so much distinction between a, a shrimp that may have been raised far away and frozen and transported by container ship. And you, you can imagine when you have shrimp in a 20-foot um, or 40-foot container traveling with ocean freight, it may travel many miles, but the uh, cost per unit to deliver that frozen shrimp to the final market is only maybe 10 cents a pound, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe a little bit more than that. But it's... Um, not a huge difference in uh, production costs. So if, if you can imagine trying to raise the shrimp in the domestic market and do it with a premium of only, uh, you know, 10 or 20 cents a pound, that's a tall order. But, mm. but there will be many people who will prefer to have locally grown to, to know that it was raised with all the regulatory requirements of the local, um, you know, very um, carefully controlled um, environment of the local farm. So I'm, I'm sure there will be increasing market demand, but I, I, I also feel strongly that that technology will find its, its way 
into mainstream systems that are not necessarily inside a building. George, I'm curious what you feel might be the barriers to having more shrimp RASP projects pop up around the world, um, because it feels like, you know, almost every couple of weeks we there's an announcement of a new Atlantic salmon project that comes up in some part of the world. But um, why are we not seeing the same sort of boom with shrimp RASP? Yes, I think it's coming. I think one of the one of the drawbacks early on was lack of a genetic line of shrimp that grows super fast at high density in captivity. And we have to thank um, our good friend Robbins McIntosh and the CP group and you know and his his own homegrown shrimp project for, breeding a line of shrimp for maybe uh, 25 years that um, has been selected for super fast growth. And um, that particular line is one where you don't need to worry about selecting for a lot of disease tolerance because it's in a very protected environment. And those post larvae are now being made available to RAS systems uh, throughout the US and Europe. And we're witnessing farms taking off because all of a sudden they have an animal that can grow twice as fast in the same length of time. And it can tolerate and actually flourish at high densities and with excellent feed conversion. So I think the genetics has been one of the big factors. I, I want to also uh, go back to Brian Vincey and the work that he presented at the Shrimp Summit. So let me just mention, this was a project funded by the Nature Conservancy. And the idea is that salmon RAS systems have benefited from a lot of sophisticated technology. One of those is um, optimization of the design of salmon tanks using computational fluid dynamics modeling. And that has not been done with shrimp farming. It's been a very kind of empirical development where someone will build a certain tank and they'll have good results and then others will try to copy it uh, almost exactly. They might tweak a little bit of this or a little bit of that, but no one wants to venture too far away from that um, design that they know was working. And so TNC, the Nature Conservancy, enlisted Brian to take a look at this with uh, intensive shrimp tanks. What would be the optimal depth and diameter and slope and water velocity to make a, a shrimp production tank that is self-cleaning uh, with minimal energy use? And uh, Brian presented those results. And I think the next step is we'd love to build a few units, actually test them with shrimp, try some different um, variations of water velocity and so forth, and then present those results at the next shrimp summit in Bali. So it is just wonderful to uh, find technologies that are sort of on the shelf, ready to go, like this CFM, uh, computational fluid dynamic, CFD modeling, 
uh, for salmon tanks and then apply it uh, to, to shrimp. And so imagine if we could have a much improved tank, self-cleaning, very easy removal of solids. We can have a solids treatment and then that leads directly into improving the water reuse and and it's not hard to imagine that the industry could transform in just a few years if we have a few that work very well have lower cost of production less environmental impact then uh the adoption could be very rapid across the across the industry Yes, that does sound really exciting. And hopefully we can kind of, um, are these resources available to people? Um, can they, can people view the Shrimp Summit? Is that still available, the recordings? It absolutely is. Um, okay. We've, because we had some, you know, some great sponsors who covered our costs, we're happy to make uh, all of the information available for free. So um, you can get it by going to, our site. I'll provide you with the links. We they're presently on the uh, registration site called Cvent, um, which requires a little extra step. You have to go in and and register. Even though we'll nullify, we've already nullified the cost. You know, post event um, to reduce that step, we will put all of that information on our website so that it's just a click away. And people could uh, listen to those presentations, uh, download them, um, uh, look at the videos of the of the tours to those facilities. That's great news. Um, I know that as someone who doesn't have an aquaculture background, uh, listening to all of those sessions, I felt like I had that much more of an understanding about the industry. So I can only imagine what our listeners are going to take away from these resources. And definitely, I will connect with you and your team so that we can provide those resources for our listeners. And uh, before I let you go, George, um, I wanted to kind of let people know that you also have a podcast. Can you tell us a little bit about that? I'm afraid I'm a real novice. I, I uh, you know, as I mentioned, one of the uh, objectives, the mission of TCRS is education and, uh, and knowledge sharing. So I've, I've had this wonderful benefit in my career of visiting a lot of different places around the world. And some of the folks in um, our TCS uh, community on, and on our board have said, George, why don't you just take a minute, uh, pull out your phone and record uh, some of these people in the places that you're visiting. So very amateurishly. Uh, no, you know, I you, disagree. I think <laughs> I, I think it's I I think people really like, especially on the podcast platform, people really like to kind of be immersed into the experience. So I feel like you turning on your phone and just being a part of, and including them in the scene is a really engaging way to kind of tell a story. So um, I'll hopefully be able to provide some links for that as well. We'll have lots of resources available. Uh, George, I want to thank you so much for your time and for sharing all of the great work that you're doing with the shrimp industry, but also in the aquaculture industry in general. Um, I hope that our listeners get a lot of learnings from this and hopefully we can provide those resources for them as well. Um, you yourself is a great resource. So I appreciate you sharing some of that here on our podcast. So thank you very much. Dean, I think this sharing information is what it's all about. You know, the 
the tremendous work that has been accomplished in the RAS world and with RASTEC, you know, the, the work that you're doing, it has enormous uh, benefits around the world and it's the future and we're all going to have to embrace it. And the, the technologies like what Brian is, is offering to the shrimp farming world and all of the digital technologies that are now happening and the breeding advances and uh, uh, the new knowledge about um, disease management. And it, it's just, there's really no end in sight. I see this uh, tremendous opportunities to continue to improve. And it's, it's all about sharing knowledge from these different silos that exist within, you know, within the aquaculture world, the academic piece of it, uh, the production piece. So I'm, I'm delighted to participate in the podcast and, um, and I appreciate what you do and helping to disseminate information. It's a great. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and thank you to you as well. Um, you're doing the same thing and you've done it for long, much longer than I have. So I, I am here to learn from you as well. <laughs> thank you very much. Thank you, Jane. There you have it, folks. I think it won't be an understatement for me to say that George Chamberlain is a wealth of knowledge in the industry, especially after this episode. We mentioned so many different projects that he's involved in and he's uh, facilitating and sharing that knowledge with others. And I admire that role that he plays in facilitating that exchange of, you know, information and innovation among the different people in the aquaculture industry. And I kind of reflect on that and my role as editor of multiple aquaculture industry publications. I, I hope my work is doing the same. Speaking of sharing that information, though, I hope you enjoy this episode. Show notes with all of the resources that we mentioned are available on our website, including the links to articles, photos, videos, and other extras, including the recordings from the Global Shrimp Summit that will be available as a link as well. Go to rastechmagazine.com slash podcast. That's R-A-S-T-E-C-H magazine.com slash podcast. Please consider sharing this episode with your network and on social media and follow us on your favorite podcast platform so you don't miss a new episode. Thanks again to our sponsor, OxyGuard International. Secure, grow, evolve. Improve your production with tailored and targeted technology. Thanks for listening, everyone. See you next time.